Hi folks, be sure to visit my website at dr-history.com for a short personal video message, to listen to the latest stories, and to leave a comment. Now, Dr. History, how are you this morning? I'm great, and Zeb, I had an experience last week that I have never had in my life. I think I told you about it the week before. I was the tour bus guide on a coach with 50 people in it on Wednesday and 50 peop- 53 people on Thursday going from the Cassia County Museum in Burley up to through Declo, Albion, Elba, the City of Rocks, and then back to Burley. And I told stories about the cowboys and the Indians and the settlers and all that stuff. So, Well, you know now, did you stand up in the bus and hold the microphone and point to the rocks and that? <laughs> you know, we didn't actually go into the City of Rocks because the coach... I said the rocks on the side oh. of the road. <laughs> Well, I didn't need to point at those. They were obvious. (laughs) But I did point out where uh, battles occurred, where the Melcher mine is, and things like that. And it was fun. I... uh, like I say, I never in my life thought I would be a tour guide on a bus. But it was fun. But you, I had a good time. What kind of stories did you talk about? Oh, I talked about uh, Diamondfield Jack. I talked about uh, the first mayor of Burley, Idaho. Talked about uh, the pioneers, the mines, uh, the Alamo Creek Massacre, the Connor Creek Battle, uh, the Pony Express, mm. uh, stagecoaches, uh, just everything to do as we went along the Oregon Trail, which uh, goes, you know, part way. Well, it goes over to Declo, and then when we get over Connor Creek, then where the California Trail comes in. So it was just kind of a, a tour of the of Cache County, plus a few other stories that I throw in for fun. Wonderful. So, well, now, do you have any thank yous or any mentions I, this morning? You know, I was in such a hurry this morning, I forgot to check, but I In will, other words, you overslept. I, no, I did not oversleep. Because <laughs> I can tell you audience it's nothing unusual to call his number at 9 30 in the morning oh. and you hear the ruffling of a pillow now, now that is not true okay. <laughs> so okay let's get on with the stories ed <laughs> how about frontier forces of law and order okay and i'm going to explain the difference between a marshal and a sheriff which I, i'm sure you probably know but i will explain that as we go but you know not all citizens of the frontier complained when law and order proved proved a little late arriving in their midst there are no county officials in potter county in the panhandle of texas when any horse thieves or bad characters made their appearance they were just strung up on the cottonwood trees Now, when the early settlers of Cheyenne, Wyoming were troubled by bandits, they formed a vigilante force headed by Nathaniel Kimball Boswell, who had come all the way from New Hampshire to open a drugstore in the territory. Now, with the full blessing, uh, the community, uh, Old Boz, as they fondly called him, Looked, uh, took it upon himself to arrest rustlers and curb the gamblers, the thieves, the highwaymen, and the ruthless cutthroats. And in fact, the governor of Wyoming Territory, John Campbell, decided to appoint him county sheriff. Now, at the time, May 1869, Wyoming had four counties in all. Each extended the full length of the territory, north to Montana, south to Colorado, and Utah. Now, Nate Boswell, or Boz, as they called him, became the chief law enforcer that covered 16,800 square miles. Now, an equally casual heir often attended official arrangements within the frontier towns themselves, 
when a settlement grew big enough to acquire a town charter, choosing peace officers for the newly incorporated community generally was the first order of business. In at least one case, the action was decidedly a little premature. After Ellsworth, Kansas got his charter in 1871, the mayor and council promptly appointed a marshal to enforce the laws, but in their haste, the city fathers neglected to adopt any laws for the marshal to enforce. A week later, they reconvened to remedy the oversight. Well, even with laws on the books and duly authorized officers patrolling the streets, keeping order in frontier towns was at best a shaky proposition. Mm -hmm. It often depended on the courage and the gunslinging skill of a peace officer rather than on any widespread respect for authority. Now, the lawman lived in a world with uh, frontier psychology of self-reliance and a world in which firearms were available to everyone. And in such a powder cake situation, the law was best enforced when the man with the badge was also skilled with the gun. Now, when he disarmed a group of cowboys or separated a pair of quarreling gamblers or held off a howling lynch mob at the door of jail, the citizens knew that his six shooters stood for peace or else. Now, in a society where saloon keepers and owners of gambling halls counted as reputable citizens and sometimes served as mayors or town councilmen, it was not surprising that gunslingers and gamblers could become... Peace officers. Now, sometimes indeed they continued their parallel careers. For example, Wild Bill Hickok spent a good part of his term as a marshal of Abilene, Kansas, at the poker table. Now, anyone who wanted him in an official business had to come to his headquarters at the Alamo, which was a bar. It was a huge bar, and it had gaming devices, orchestra, and like most gunfighters turned lawmen, Wild Bill Hickok saw no reason to abandon his private pursuits while keeping the peace. In fact, he held office at the pleasure of the mayor and city council and knew he was likely to lose his post when the next mayor uh, came into town. What town was that again? That was in Abilene, Kansas. Oh. Wild Bill. Okay. But like I say, he, uh, he set up office in the saloon. Right. So when you wanted to find him, you went to the saloon because but, he was a gambler and he saw no reason to stop gambling just because he was the sheriff or the marshal. Didn't a similar circumstance happen to Wyatt Earp and his brothers, too? Uh, yes. And, and quite a few of those guys did become marshals and sheriffs and yeah. lawmen. Yeah. yeah, But compared with other town marshals, Wild Bill was actually kind of an angel. Now, citizens of... I don't think so. (laughs) Well, let me keep going. (laughs) Some of them didn't turn out so good. Citizens of Laramie, Wyoming, felt uh, compelled to hang their head lawman when it was discovered that in his uh, simultaneous capacity as a saloon keeper, he was drugging and robbing his patrons. Really? So they just hung him. Uh, That... It was the end of that. Okay. So Now, a number of county sheriffs who were a cut above town marshals in the peacekeeping hierarchy met similar ends as a result of their extracurricular activities. In fact, a little closer to Holmesab, some irate vigilantes disposed of the sheriff of Ada County, Idaho, by rope when he was found to be moonshining as moonlighting as a horse thief. That's just up in the Boise area. So this was the sheriff? Uh, yeah. And he was stealing horses. Yeah. 
and he was trying to do the law during the day. Right. And he, they hung him. The, yes. But, you know, everybody's got to have a little fun, Zeb. Uh, right. Yeah. <laughs> Things have changed. <laughs> yeah. Well, such men were exceptions, but the dilemma posed for peaceable citizens of the frontier was widespread. Often the choice they faced when selecting a guardian of law and order lay between an upright but not effective fellow townsman and an outlaw. Hmm. So do you choose a guy that's just uh, kind of meek and mild, or do you get a good old outlaw that's going to keep things in check? Well, in 1870, when it ranked as one of the first of the rowdy Kansas cattle towns, uh, the provisional town government named a reluctant grocer as marshal and also proceeded to build a jail. Now, it was still under construction when a bunch of uh, cowboys arrived in town after a long, tedious cattle drive from the plains of Texas. They sized up the new lawman, like say he was a grocer. Oh, boy. (laughs) With an apron on. Yeah, yeah. And they correctly decided that this guy was not a tough, strong guy. Well, they expressed their sentiments by tearing down his partially built sheriff's office, or marsh, and, uh, marshal's office. Eventually, however, the townsmen managed to complete a jail, and the first person they put in it was a chuck wagon cook. Now, this didn't sit good. The reluctant grocer appeared to have scored his first triumph, but then the prisoners, allies, the cowboys, converged on the scene, shot the lock off the jail door, and set their uh, friend free. Really? So, you know, the grocer was not exactly uh, your wild bill. And he threw cans of tomato soup at him. (laughs) Exactly, and that was as far as it went. Now, frontier communities that yearned for a firm hand in law enforcement occasionally went to extremes to obtain it. In exchange for a measure of stability, they were sometimes ready to accept even a known bad man as marshal, presumably on the theory that such a man was best equipped to deal with his own kind. Now, a few citizens worried about how he had gone bad in the past or how he might go bad in the future, so long as he kept local troublemakers in check and respectable folk could only approve and hope his conversion to law and order would be a lasting So one. basically what you're saying in the Old West, and I wish we can you hear that feedback in your head? Bit, yeah, yeah, it's really bothering me too. I think the feed line needs to be turned down just a little bit, Sean, because it's really driving us both nuts. Uh, in the old days, there wasn't the organized crime fighting as developed later on, was there? Uh, no, not at all. It was a gradual evolution from not much law to a little to a little more. Yeah. Okay. But the frontier peace officers was seldom the figure he was painted to be. You know, the Old West had an impressive number and diversity of lawmen. Occasional rival ambitions and feuds caused conflicts between men in different jurisdictions. So a sheriff over in this county might have a feud with the sheriff over in another county. Oh. But that didn't happen often. But just as often, there was a cooperation, too. And within each jurisdiction, the head lawman was, as a rule, able to call upon various sources of help, both trained and amateur, when things threatened to get seriously out of hand. In fact, years ago, the last stage holdup in Cassia County, just south of us over by Oakley, as soon as the word hit, uh, Oakley, that there was a uh, holdup. He back then they did have a phone connection, so he called the sheriff in Albion, uh, and they combined forces to go after. What the, was it like that stage holdup? I mean, what did they do on horses, or was, did they drive yeah, a Model yeah. A up there, or what? The, 
Well, I hate to admit it, but the stagecoach was a motor-driven stagecoach. But it was the thieves were on horseback. I see. And they were caught. I see. <laughs> so, but at the town level, now this kind of helps me understand the difference between a marshal and a sheriff. At the town level, the marshal, in effect, the chief of police, usually had at his disposal a small force made up of an assistant marshal and a few policemen. Now, in addition, he could call upon ordinary citizens in an emergency to serve as temporary policemen. Now, on the county level, law enforcement rested in the hands of a sheriff and an undersheriff and a group of deputy sheriffs aided now and then by posses of kind of impromptu deputies. So, you know, I always thought, you know, if I'm in town and the sheriff's saying, hey, we need a posse, I'm thinking, you know, I, I need to go home and feed my cows. Uh, I see. You know. So Matt Dillon on the TV show Gunsmoke was a U.S. Marshal. Okay, and that's different, Sam. Yeah. That's a little different, yeah. yeah and I'm going to mention that right now. There was also a third level of lawmen in the form of a corps of federal officials operating on a state or district or territory-wide basis. These United States Marshals, that's what you're talking about. Yeah. And their deputies were technically charged with enforcing only federal laws and pursuing criminals like mail robbers. If you robbed the U.S. mail, you, that was a federal offense. And army deserters, but the deputies often held uh, additional commissions as town or county lawmen and lent a hand and a gun in support of their local counterparts. So so they could help out like the county sheriff or the, or the town marshal I see. as well. I see. Now, in the wildest reaches of the Southwest, where county government was practically non-existent, a special breed of lawmen flourished, the rangers or mounted police. Uh, cattle thieves and others who operated along the Mexican border in Texas, New Mexico, and Arizona had particular reason to fear these guys. They were direct agents of the state or territorial government. Usually they were recruited from the ranks of the toughest candidates available. Kind of like the Texas Rangers? Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. And these were men who could not only shoot straight and fast, but also ride hard and long. They had to patrol these distances all along that border, Zeb. That was a of, miles. Uh, Mexican southern. and United yeah. States border? Yeah, all down. Where are they today? Rangers in three <laughs> states were organized in a military fashion. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Zeb. Okay, let me get back. So rangers in the three states were organized in a military fashion, but they exercised their own judgment as to their methods of law enforcement. I see. So uh, once when Captain Bert Mossman was asked just how in his how he and his rangers meant to go about riding, uh, ridding Arizona of rustlers, he put it this way, quote, if they come along easy, everything will be all right. If they don't, well, I just guess we can make pretty short work of them. I know most of them, and life these fellows are leading in the mesquite shrub to keep out of reach of the law is a dog's life. They ought to thank me for giving them a chance to come in and take their medicine. Mm-hmm. Some of them will object, of course. They'll probably try a little gunplay as a bluff, but I shoot fairly well myself. And the boys who back me up are handy enough with their guns. Any rustler who wants to yank on the rope and kick up trouble will find he's up against it. 
It didn't sound to me like in those days it was really uh, a good deal to be a criminal. Well, not with this guy after you. Yeah, you're not kidding. Yeah. What was his name? Uh, let's see. Captain Bert Mossman. Remember that name. Remember that okay. name. Yeah. Now, collectively, the town, county, territory, or state and federal lawmen made up a sizable group of men with the U.S. Marshal at the top of the pecking order. In large part, he owed his importance to the fact that he alone had the honor of being directly appointed by the... He's turning the page. That's why he's stuttering there just for a minute. Okay, page turn. By, I had some paper clips there, too. He, okay, but he was appointed by the President of the United States with the advice and consent of the Senate. He, in turn, had the power to select his own deputies, and while it fell vacant, it tended to attract a whole bunch of people that wanted that, that job. So it must have paid a little bit better. Mm-hmm. But Colorado, uh, its first U.S. U.S. Marshal, appointed in 1861, was arrested for embezzling federal funds. The third resigned his office, facing charges of pa- passing counterfeit money. So even these top guys, they still uh, succumb to uh, sin. You know, <laughs> or, the thing about the crooks in the old days, and you know, some of these uh, regulators or sheriff's posses or whatever were going to be tough on them, many of which didn't want to bring them back in alive. Right. It was you just would, easier you to would shoot think them. that the criminal element would say, I don't know if I want to mess with these guys. Yeah. And in fact, many sheriffs actually took pride in personally tracking down and apprehending the lawless, but there were some others. Uh, like actually the U.S. Marshals, they preferred to leave this job to their gunfighting deputies. Now, remember, they were able to choose their own deputies, so they could choose some of these guys that were. They just went after the guy and came back and said, we got it taken care of. Holy smokes. We sure need some more of those today. Yeah, good, good guys. But yeah. all sheriffs were expected to maintain the county jail serve court orders, and sell the property of tax delinquents. In addition, some sheriffs had to take on a variety of odd jobs created by problems peculiar to their areas. Now, in Wyoming, they inspected the owner's brands on all horses that were to be driven out of the state to guard against their theft. You know, now, of course, we have brand inspectors. But Utah sheriffs maintained not only the county jails, but also the county dog pound. In Colorado, sheriffs had to help fight forest fires. In Texas, they helped eradicate prairie dogs. And in New Mexico, they went out in search of straying livestock. You know, let me ask you, what about the facilities themselves, the jails? They probably were pretty spartan, weren't they? Oh, yeah. And I would guess a lot of them didn't even have specifically jails like you would see on TV really? or movies. Uh, probably they were more like a a, uh, a room that was just guarded. You I know? see. So, uh, but eventually they gradually had uh, okay. regular... we got about two minutes left. Okay, well, I'm not going to finish this. Zip. I'd like to hear more about it next week. Well, okay, I can do that because uh, there is more I can talk about. But uh, anyway, th- there's some stories about Wild Bill Hickok, uh, you know... In fact, I'm going to tell you this. Uh, he had some pretty mundane tasks. In Abilene, he kept the streets clear of litter, uh-huh. as well as unruly cow- uh, cowboys. To supplement his 150 a month salary, he also got 50 cents for every unlicensed dog he shot within the city limits. In Tombstone, Virgil Earp had to hunt down 
an accordion fiend. A what? Accordion fiend who kept the townspeople awake at night. So this guy was playing an accordion all night? Yeah. What did they do to him? Uh... I suppose they took his accordion away. I would imagine. Uh, maybe shot it full of holes. Uh-huh. I, d- I don't know that. But uh, Virgil Earp had to hunt him down, which probably wasn't very hard. Cause I was going to say, if he's playing the accordion, just follow the noise. <laughs> follow the music. Oh, my goodness. So that's kind of the beginning of some of the uh, stories about the, uh, the the lawmen of the Old West. Have you ever toured Old Tucson real quick? I have not. You need to go there yeah. and see the original... Uh, old jail and the Spartan existence that they had. And can you imagine being locked up in an adobe little room with a little bitty cell in 115 degree temperatures? (laughs) Well... You know, the, the, it had to be rough oh, back then. I, I just can't imagine. And then the the time these men spent out for sometimes weeks at a time chasing oh, yeah. down yeah. Uh, the outlaws. And, uh, you know, how much food and water did you have to chase these guys down? Oh, boy. Listen, so, you're not going to be here next week. No. You're going to be on a trip. Yes, I'll be gone for a day or so. That's great. I'm glad you're going with your family. Seriously. And uh, so we'll have a rematch of this in two weeks. In two weeks. Okay. But there will be a show on my podcast next week that I've already recorded. So for those who listen on the Internet, there will be a show next week. Okay. Dr. History, Dr. Ken Turner, thank you. God bless you. And have a safe trip. Thank you. All right, my friend. Thank you very much.